0: I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning and to read to me the word of the Lord from the writings of the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll give you just a second if you're turning in your own Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be reading you'll be reading verses 6 through 10. Would you read loudly, please? Let's go. So Our text is verse 10, which says The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> This is not an easy message to deliver today, as you can understand. Hard as I've tried to work my way around it, if I speak to you with integrity, I will have to say some things that are hard to hear. Please know that I do not consider myself an expert. Anything that I preach from this pulpit, I am working through in the process, asking the Lord to work his word in and through me just like you. I'm in the process of working through it. But also, please know that I'm your pastor. I love you, and I speak the truth in that love for you. This is not a trendy nor fashionable message. It's not on the top 20 list of most comforting sermons that are being preached around the country these days. It will not be popular, but I will give you the truth today from the Word of the Lord. The uh, New Living Translation presents our text verse, verse 10, in this way. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that there is coming a day. Choir sing about it today. We've heard it about in our time of worship. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ himself will return from heaven. He will raise from the dead those who have died in him. And he will change those believers who are living into his image. We call this, and we know this is known to the church as the rapture of the church. Now, some of you may be hearing this for the first time. Most of you know it. The word rapture is not in the Scriptures. It's not there. But the Scripture does say that we will be caught up, caught up together. The phrase, to be caught up, When translated from Greek to English means to be raptured. The trumpet of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul always concludes that by saying, therefore comfort one another with these words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaks of our final victory when he says this. And I'm reading from the King James Version. Some things just, you got to do it. Now, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible I'm here to remind you today that Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave forever. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be ye steadfast. You know it. Say it. Unmovable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dear Bethesda, we have an incredibly bright future ahead of us. For the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day, Proverbs tells us. One of these days... Time will fall exhausted at the feet of eternity. One of these days we will drop this mantle of flesh, step out of the narrow circumscriptions of time and enter into the unlimited expanses of eternity. One day, every day will be Sunday and the Sabbath will have no end. These mortal bodies... These fleshly bodies, which are decaying right now, will be clothed with a new body. Who's ready for yours? Because there will be no more death, no more curse, no more tragedy, no more trouble, no more cancer, no more pain, no more tears, for the former things are passed away. I have a mother over there I have a father over there. Both of Becky's wonderful parents are over there. My beloved pastor is over there. And just like you, I have many friends and family over there. But most of all, I want to see Jesus face to face and thank him for what he has done for me. He saved me. He's redeemed me. And because of what he has done, I have no dread or fear because he has conquered death forever. Somebody say hallelujah in this house today. However, before that happens, I have to stand at the judgment seat. And you too, I pray, will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Why do you say that? Because if you are saved, you will appear at the judgment seat. If you are not saved in this house today, you will appear at the great white throne. That is simply the fact. The great white throne judgment is for the dead, small and great, standing before God whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, according to Revelation 20.11. The only people who should be trembling now are the people who are not saved, for they will be judged for their sins. But those of us who are Christians and who will stand at the judgment seat will not be judged for our sin because Jesus took care of that for us on the cross of Calvary. So to be clear, who is it exactly that will participate in this judgment at the judgment seat of Christ? As I said, this will be a judgment for believers only. There will be no lost people. At the judgment seat of Christ. But it will be a universal judgment for every child of God. All believers, all Christ followers must appear, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It is universal. It is also an unavoidable judgment. All believers must appear. You can't cancel it. You can't reschedule it. You can't get out of it with deferred adjudication? How do you know what that means? I know because I've raised two kids that through their teenage years, and there was a speeding ticket or two at our house. You know it's not a good thing when you go to the local grocery store and the city judge knows you by name. That's not a good thing. You will appear as a believer before the judgment seat of Christ. You can't bring an excuse from your counselor. But the good news is this the judgment need not be fearful for the child of god because we will not be standing before christ to be judged regarding our sin if we have been redeemed as i mentioned a moment ago the great white throne will be the place of judgment for those who do not know christ have rejected his work of redemption on the cross but the living The saved, the blood-bought, redeemed of the Lord will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. So let me be a little more specific about this judgment seat because I understand that the very phrase itself can be somewhat uh, alarming or intimidating or fearful. Here's the first uh, kind of an aside that I would like to say about the judgment seat. It is not your seat. You need to get out of the seat of judgment. Did that make it from here to there? I can't begin to tell you how often I've had to get hold of myself when I've realized that somehow I allowed myself to become judge and jury about someone or something. I wanna be clear today, I'm not your judge. God and God alone is your judge. Neither are you my judge, dear one. Please get up and get out of the seat of judgment. It's not your seat. That seat is reserved for the one and only sovereign God of the universe. That seat is reserved for the one and only who has the right to judge all of us. Please take your seat someplace else. In the Greek, the word for judgment is the word bima, B-E-M-A. Can you say that word with me? Bima. That is why this judgment seat of Christ is also known as the bema seat of Christ, or the bema seat. You may have heard that it's a, it's a different name for the same thing. During the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games, which are the were the uh, games of ancient Greece held uh, both the year before and the year after the Olympic Games, every competing athlete had to appear before the bema, before the judgment seat, to testify. That they had not done anything to disqualify themselves from participating in the games. And they could not compete until the judge rendered them qualified to participate in the games. Well, you and I who have been saved, bless the name of the Lord, are already qualified to participate in the games. Which means we will stand before the judgment, but not about heaven or hell. Because we took care of that when we trusted Christ as Savior, but rather we'll be standing there for our rewards. So this Bema seat or judgment seat of Christ, it's universal, it's unavoidable, you can't get out of it, you can't reschedule it, and for many of us, it will be unthinkable because we will be judged for the deeds we have done in this body, whether good or evil. That's what you read to me this morning from the Apostle Paul. The good news is this. If you make it to the judgment seat, you're not going to hell and you ought to lift your hands and shout glory if you're standing at the judgment seat. But you will be there to see what kind of reward you're going to receive. And here's how it will happen. Your works, the things you have done as a believer, will be tried by the fire, the word tells us. You will get into heaven, but you may smell like a fire sale on your way there if your works get burned up in the flame. So let's talk about works for just a second because I talk to all kinds of people who seem slightly confused about this. Pastor, I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by faith, yes. And I know that Paul said to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yes, Paul is speaking about your salvation, that's true. But we also know what James said in James chapter 2. Faith without works is yeah. its dead. So we cannot, church, completely discredit the value of works, which we have a tendency to do. When thinking of standing at the judgment seat, consider the words of John in 1 John 2, where he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And with even more poignant words are Paul's to the Philippians in chapter 4, where he says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Did you know that you have an account in heaven? You do. You have an account in heaven, and it is that account for which you'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus himself said it like this in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're making deposit into your heavenly account. The judgment seat of Christ is not talking about nor addressing your salvation. We're talking about your account in heaven, which then begs the question, so what is the Christian life? Isn't it walking the aisle, shaking the preacher's hand, signing the card, making sure my fire insurance is in place so that I won't go to hell? Oh, but pastor, I no, it, I think it's more than that. I've taken it to the next level. I'm at church a couple of times a month. I give in the offering, sometimes a tithe. I'm only 12 weeks behind on my immersed Bible reading. I even showed up at the prayer service last year twice. Doesn't that pretty much fill up my account in heaven? Well, Let me tell you what the Scripture says about our works and how they will be judged at the Bema Seat. You will appear before the Bema Seat to see what kind of reward you're going to receive. Your works, the things you have done as a believer, will be tried by the fire. The Scripture says there's two kinds of works. There is gold, silver, and precious gems. And when they are burned in the fire, the fire doesn't destroy them, it purifies them. Some of you will be presenting those kinds of works before the Lord at the bema seat. But then there is the other kind that we are told about in Scripture. There's wood, hay, and stubble. And when you burn that in the fire, it is burned up, incinerated, and becomes nothing. Now, if that's you, you won't lose heaven. You just will not get a reward. Bethesda, you're thinking awfully loud this morning. I can hear you up here. I can hear that section of the balcony. I can hear that section. Of the b- I hear that back there. I can hear you. And what I hear is, Pastor, I don't care about the reward. I just want to get to heaven. It's what I'm hearing. Well, let me tell you what. I want to go to heaven too. But I want a reward to hand to the feet of, at, lay at the feet of Jesus. After all this work, after all this sweat, after all the years of praying and preaching and singing, after all the music I produced and conducted, after standing for so many decades in front of this choir doing everything within my power to get them to sing, standing on my head if I had to, I want to hear the Lord say, J. Daniel, well done. Who will participate? Every believer must appear. You have no excuse. So what's the purpose of this judgment? Again, not to determine your salvation. You settled that at the cross. I grew up in church. Most of you know that. Many of you did too. My dad was a pastor. When I was a kid, I heard every fiery evangelist and well-known speaker within our circles. And I used to hear preaching about the judgment seat as it was preached by fiery preachers, and I was terrified. I used to think that a giant screen was going to come drop down in heaven, and every sin I ever committed would be played out on that screen. And my mother would be watching. My grandmother, oh, even worse, my grandmother would be watching. Everybody, all the church people were gonna be watching it all. And it scared me to death. I assumed everything I had ever done from a small child to an old man would be played out for all to see. Well, I have good news. That is not what this judgment is about. Because as I recall, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Glad to know that no screen is gonna drop down with my sins replayed from 1975. Anybody else thankful with me today? But rather, there will be rewards given out, and allow me to present these five to you from scripture. First of all, there is the incorruptible crown. It's also known as the victor's crown. And I reference, if you're taking notes, you can see it, I recommend that you Write these verses down. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. This reward will be given to the one whose faith in the Lord has stood the test. Uh, Let me go back to the thought I presented just for a second. What is this Christian life? It's not just coming, signing up, and then going on your merry way, and nothing changes. It is a walk with Christ. It is giving yourself uh, to the work of the kingdom of God. It means that in the most difficult of times, you know what it is to get on your knees and be a prayer warrior. It means that when 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 your faith is the most tried, that's when you have to literally stand the test all the way through. Well, the incorruptible crown is for that person. It's the reward that will be given to the one whose faith in the Lord has stood the test. You you didn't give up on God just because things went south for you in your business. You didn't give up on God because your child went astray. You didn't give up on God because some sickness came upon. No, you didn't give up on God because you believed in him and you allowed your faith to stand no matter what. That person will receive the incorruptible crown. Then there's the crown of life, also known as the martyr's crown. James 1 12, Revelation 2:10. That reward is for the person who endures and overcomes temptation and awarded to those who are faithful unto death. Thus the, the title, the subtitle, the martyr's crown. For the person who endures and overcomes temptation. And isn't that something we all have to deal with? Temptation. How easy it is? to surrender to, to submit, to succumb to the temptation that the enemy puts on every one of us. But God has designated the crown of life to the one who endures and overcomes temptation. Next, there is the crown of rejoicing. Philippians 4.1, 1, 1 Thess- uh, Thessalonians 2.19. This is known as the soul winner's crown. That crown is for the soul winner. Everybody who wins a soul for Christ will be wearing the crown of rejoicing. Who wants one of those? Then there's the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, eight. That's for the believer who lived in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. You know, there's some people that just, when you talk to them, all they can say is, I'm just glad the Lord's coming. Maranatha, the Lord's coming in. He's coming soon. And it will be awarded to those who love his appearing. That's the crown of righteousness. But here's the crown that I'm hoping to receive. I'm going for the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 4. That is the reward for faithful ministers of the gospel and faithful teachers of the word who have led and fed the flock of God. I really want the crown of glory because I've spent my entire life trying to lead and feed the flock of God in one way or another. But Bethesda, I got to let you know, there's something a little terrifying about this one. My greatest fear is this. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I should. And he's talking to preachers here. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That is the warning to preachers of the gospel If that's you today, if you are a preacher of the gospel today, you probably know this verse. But this is the warning that the Apostle Paul himself says. He fears that after preaching to others, he himself might be disqualified. After I have given my very life in service of the Lord, most of it in this house right here, after all the people that I have helped to gain the prize, I could be disqualified for the very prize that I helped someone else to gain. That's enough to make me and every other pastor I know tremble. Because guess what, church? You can ruin your testimony in an instant of time. And a pastor is not exempt. Even if you're going to heaven, you can ruin your testimony. You can become ineffective while on this earth. Cold, indifferent, lukewarm. Your passion for Jesus subsided because you've gotten busy with other things, other things that have occupied your affections and your interest and your time. You can become ineffective while on this earth as a witness to the cause of Christ. And the worst kind of witness is a witness on whose testimony you cannot rely. You and I need to be a reliable witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. You and I need to be a reliable witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. People need to be able to look at your life, and my life, listen to me this morning, need to be able to look at our lives and easily recognize that it was nobody but Jesus who brought you to where you are today. It's the only way you got here. And when you tell your story, don't forget to talk about how it used to be before God got his hands on you. For many of us, and I hear this all the time, our story is all about the good things that have happened. Oh, I had a a God, it was a God thing that happened and this was wonderful and and I'm tiptoeing through the tulips because of this good thing and that. Well, it's good to give praise to the Lord, yes. But don't ever forget where the Lord found you. I don't care how long you've been in church, don't forget where the Lord found you. In your sin is where he found you. In the pit is where he found you. And he lifted you up out of the pit. He set you upon the rock, Christ Jesus. He gave you life and life everlasting. Blessed be his name forever. If your your testimony starts with the phrase, if it hadn't been for me, such and such wouldn't have happened. If that's your testimony, then your testimony is all messed up. Your testimony needs to start with, if it had not been for the Lord. Whatever you're doing for the kingdom, do not ruin your testimony. Do not allow your testimony to be ruined. Just do what God has called you to do, not for any glory, not for any prestige, not to be seen. Just give of your best to the service of the master, and God will repay you. Now, here's the thing we all face. I don't know what's happened to my... I probably yanked it out because I'm getting too excited. I don't know, never mind. Here's the thing, here's the reality for most of us in leadership. It's true, you won't be appreciated. There'll be people who say nice things, that's great. But the appreciation that you feel that you need, no, don't be looking for that. Don't be looking for, in this life, don't get your, try to get your reward early. That's a mistake, to look too early for your reward. Because you're looking to be appreciated. Yes, you'll, you'll probably be ignored. Uh, you, you'll probably easily could say, you know, I don't. Nobody noticed I was even there. I could walk in and walk out; it wouldn't matter whatsoever. It's easy to feel ignored. You won't get the credit that you deserve, and we all love credit at the right time, the right way. And and, and the truth is, you can go out of your way to try to love people and to help people and the very ones you try to love and the, oh, you've got testimonies in the house of this. The very ones that you try to love and the very ones you try to help will turn on you and you won't get an ounce of credit from them for that. But it goes like this. We need not care about the applause of man. Just live for the day when he will look at you and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The purpose of this judgment is for reward, but also the purpose of this judgment is for rebuke. Rebuke is a Bible word. Paul instructs young Timothy to preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, he says. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. God will rebuke us at the bema seat who have been Christians but have not served well. Yes. I know you may have a different image. I'm telling you what the word of God says. If you have, as a Christian, if you decide to get lazy, lethargic, and you're working the kingdom of God, there will be a rebuke for that person who has not served well. Some will say, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I feed the hungry? Didn't I do what you told me to do? Well, maybe you did all that. Possibly you did it with the wrong motive. The Lord will see that. Folks, the why matters. The why matters. Not only will there be rewards and rebukes, but there will be reaping at the judgment seat of Christ. Don't forget what Paul told the Galatians do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Not only will you reap what you sow, but you will reap more than you sow, whether it was good or bad. Now, typically, this is the time in a sermon like this where the pastor pours it on. And I want you to know, I put a big old filter on myself right here, okay? But let me give you examples. Any examples I've ever heard really poured it on. It, like when you told that lie that you never straightened up, that you never cleaned that up, that's going to come up at the judgment. When you hurt someone and you never apologized, that's going to show up at the judgment. If you misused or stepped on somebody trying to get ahead, that's going to show up at the judgment. You won't miss heaven, but God is going to show you what you have been and what you have done. There will be rewards, there will be rebukes, there will be reaping, and there will be revelation. Let me tell you something, you can fool me, you can fool everybody else around you, but God knows exactly what's in your heart. And we don't like to hear this message, we'd rather hear the sugary stuff, but I'm telling you the truth, God knows, and you will stand at the bema seat. What you truly are will be revealed at the judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, you cannot hide your heart. It will be revealed. And I don't know about you how you feel about it. I don't, I, but I want to live the life that I sing about every Sunday. I want to live the life that I pray about. Because I know that God sees everything. God hears everything. God knows everything. And God will reveal every word or deed that was in the heart of J. Daniel Smith. And I know that. So we have to live in such a way as to not forfeit our rewards that he has designed for us. He sees, he hears, he knows when you're right and when you're wrong. He knows you're down sitting. He knows you're uprising. He knows your thoughts even before you think them. Am I telling you the truth? Who will participate? What is the purpose? So let me try to give you a little relief here. How can you prepare? You can prepare by examining yourselves, first of all, to see that your motives are right. You know, Paul instructs us every time we come to the table of the Lord, we are to examine ourselves. There's a reason for that. Lord, do you see any wicked way in me? Is there something that I've kind of glossed over? Something that I've excused, defended, justified, determined wasn't that big a deal? Because it's not nearly as bad as what he does or what she does. Have I I done that, but it's not pleasing to you? Lord, I have to bear my soul, my heart before you because you see and hear everything. Prepare to examine your motives, why you do what you do. Is it to be seen? That's a natural human tendency. Is it for man's approval? That's a natural human tendency. But we've got to help somebody out when not another soul knows about it. Do it unto Jesus when there is no camera or spotlight on you or when there is no earthly reward given to you. You do it unto Jesus. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And you make sure that whatever you do, it's for the right motive. That's one way you can prepare to meet God at the judgment seat. You examine your motives. And then I'm gonna tell you, you examine your methods. Is there excellence in how you're preparing, whatever it is God has you doing? Are you careless in what God has assigned you to do? Have you given your best to it? Have you found the easiest way out? Are you diligent in your study? Are you careful with the details? As believers, we need to keep our eyes, our heads, and our hearts in the word of the Lord for fresh revelation of the truth of God's word. I just happened to think standing on this platform. For 33 years, I was the worship pastor here. I conducted 33 Christmas productions right here on this spot. And I remember somewhere along the way, the Lord really dealt with my heart. And that is this, yes, you got it to the finish line, but what about the process to get there? I did not like hearing that at all. I started whining and belly aching, Lord, do you know how hard it is to get that many people to sing? Do you know how hard it is to get that many people to show up? How hard it is to get that many people to give themselves to... to. And so I began, my prayer began to come, began to be this. Lord, I want the end result to magnify your name. You are wonderful in blessing us and helping us to have these spectacular uh, events and and, and and to glorify you in what we're doing. But Lord, as the worship pastor here, I want to look at that process when we started way back in whatever month it was, all the way through. Was there excellence? Was there purity? Were our hearts right? Were our decisions right before you? All the way through. So it's not just the finish line, not just that you make it to the final thing, whatever it is, and everybody sees that it looks good. The Lord also saw the process all the way through. And that was a challenge to to me, that my not only my motives be pure, but my methods be honorable in his sight. A husband and wife who were not really in love with each other were married, and the husband was very demanding. He would write down some requirements that he wanted his wife to follow. He wanted her to get up. He told her, he wrote down what time he wanted her to get up what time he wanted his meals prepared. Guys, don't try this at home. <laughs> he wrote down how his laundry was to be folded. He wrote down how and when the house was to be clean. And the wife, out of obligation, not love, did that which he required her to do. And after some years, the old guy finally died. Thank the Lord. Sometime later, she married a man who really, truly loved her. He adored her. She did everything for him. She did cook his meals. She washed his clothes. She prepared the house for him. She she was really everything that a wife who truly loves her husband would be. She did everything that a loving wife would do. One day while cleaning the house, she ran across the list of duties that husband number one had written down for her and that she was doing under obligation. As she read everything off that list, she discovered to her great joy that what she did for husband number one out of obligation, she was now doing for husband number two out of love. Because church, Love doesn't make you obligated. You obligate yourself out of love. Love doesn't make you obligated. You obligate yourself out of love. If you're like me, and I know that you are, the reason I love to come to the house of the Lord, I drove here for the same reason this morning that you drove here. You love to worship Jesus. You love the gathering of the people of God. You love to be where his presence is so dynamically felt amongst us. But the reason I love to come to the house of the Lord and lift my hands and lift my voice in worship is because I love the Lord. I just love him. The reason why I do my best to treat people right and to pastor you as God gives me grace is because I love the Lord and I want him to be pleased as was in the text you read to me earlier. I know what's written in his word, but I do what is written because it's written on the walls of my heart because that's my desire. When you know how to love people, then the judgment seat doesn't scare you at all. When you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've done your best to be honorable with all men, then the judgment seat does not frighten you one bit. In fact, a true believer is looking forward to the day when you stand before the Lord and receive your reward. I know people had the funeral one just yesterday. I know people who cannot wait to stand before the Lord and hear their well done because they know they have walked uprightly before the Lord. In the first verse of this fifth chapter of Second Corinthians where we read today, our text chapter, Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Guess what, church? We are soon going home to be with Jesus. But before we get there, we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And like you, I look forward to hear the Lord say to me at the judgment seat, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. Can you put your hands together and bless him as Pastor Brent